Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Play DNA podcast. I'm Cassandra. I'm Damon. I'm Sarah. And we have played some great games this week. Hopefully you have too, Sarah. Oh um, yeah. Good. Uh, so first of all, I'm going to start with um, a game that you got me for my birthday. Thank you so much. Um, you Hopefully you got, liked it and didn't It was it. <laughs> great. So you got me um, Exit the Abandoned Lighthouse. And this is, and if anybody's familiar with Exit games, there are a bunch of them. They're designed by Inca and Marcus Brand. In general, I feel like Damon and I haven't been the biggest fans of Exit games, but we made this discovery, which was actually New Year's, this most recent New Year's. We played with Sarah and her husband this great Exit game, which was an Exit jigsaw puzzle game. So it's like an escape room in a box, but it also comes with four jigsaw puzzles that essentially each chapter of the game, you put together a jigsaw puzzle, and then that shows you kind of where you are. Um, it sets the scene, and then all of the puzzles that you're trying to solve are related to this jigsaw puzzle somehow. And when we played the last one, which I, I can't recall the name of, but it was like Mayan. It was the Sacred Temple. Sacred Temple. It, it was so much fun and it was so creative and unique and it was like, wow, I can't believe this is designed by the same people because <laughs> so many of the Exit games are not my favorite. But Exit the Abandoned Lighthouse was, was similarly very creative and fun. There's a lot of just really clever, interesting stuff that utilize the jigsaw puzzle really well. Um, there's just really unique puzzles and um, it kind of just like the, the the inclusion of the jigsaw puzzle gives them this whole different like canvas to work with and it opens up all these possibilities that are not are not available in the majority of escape rooms and boxes. Um, so there were definitely some puzzles that was like, ooh, that was a stretch or like that wasn't the best clued. But a lot of them were super creative. I will say the ending wasn't the best. Like, the, this has a story. And the story is a little bit silly. It's like, there's a lighthouse, abandoned lighthouse. And it's like, why isn't there anybody in this lighthouse? We got to stop this ship from crashing into the rocks. And um, the ending was very, very silly. And um, <laughs> it's like, oh, God, why is there even a story here? I don't know. <laughs> like, is anybody super excited about the stories in Escape Room? Boxes. The last exit puzzle had the story was fine. The Sacred Temple one? Yeah. Oh, I can't really. But that one had a poor ending too. So. Oh, they always have poor endings. Yeah. If you can if you can start with an okay beginning, you are on the top of escape room games. <laughs> uh, you liked it, Damon? I did like it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the ending was monstrously bad, but <laughs> the the game itself is really good. It's, it, that's a tradition with these exit games. But the the nice thing is that the production value is so much higher than, than it is in the smaller exit boxes. Mm. problem I have with those is partially the bad stories, but partially also that the fact that the game is almost entirely made out of paper, like really thin the magazine paper is kind of 80% of those puzzles. And here you have a lot more like thicker, nicer wood to work with. And even though everything is going to be jigsaw related in some way, there's a lot more you can do when you have much more robust pieces. And these games are also just longer. There's, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more to them. I think this one took us three, probably four hours, three or four maybe. Hours, yeah, because yeah. um, it's it's just the two of you. Uh, there were three of us. We played with a friend. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. It it's nice because it's separated into four chunks that are really easy, really easy chapter markers. I will say I made a huge mistake 
in that so when we played the game the the sacred temple game I don't recall ever having to reference previous puzzles. And I could be wrong, but I don't remember ever having to do that. And in no, this not in game, in this game, when we were finished with one puzzle and we were moving on to the next, I would triumphantly grab that puzzle and wreck it and put it back into the box. Oh no, and you needed it? Yes. <laughs> That's horrible. So we had to re-put together two of the puzzles and it was like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. So yeah, word word to um, anybody who's intending to play this game. Just leave the puzzles as they are. Just, you know, leave them alone. Don't destroy them. Um, yeah, because that probably cost you a lot of time doing them all over again. <laughs> it did. <laughs> yeah. mm. It did. But it was it was great. Yeah, so thank you. That was a great game. My first game that we played, it was my favorite game I've played this week or in a couple weeks. It's called Stay Cool, the multitasking game. And it's phenomenal. <laughs> I love this game so much. <laughs> If you're not into multitasking, I wouldn't recommend this game at all. If you're not into multitasking. So in the game, there's an active player and then there's a person sitting left to the active player and a person sitting right to the active player. The active player has two white dice, which have the vowels on them. And the rest of the dice, there's five other dice that have consonants on them. And so the person to your left will start with a question like, it could be anything like a cup of blank. And so you're supposed to spell out the word Joe on your dice. But you have to spell that out. And then while you're spelling the first answer out, the person to your right is also asking you verbal questions that you have to answer verbally. So they can be like, what's 11 minus 7? So you're answering that question while also trying to spell a cup of Joe. And then there's a timer going. So there's this timer that sits on the table. And the first round, people, the the person who is um, giving the clues is actively flipping it every 30 seconds. In the second round, you have to tell them when to flip the timer while answering both questions and filling out the dice answers. And so it gets really complex. And then the third round, the timer gets taken off the table entirely. And if you don't multitask and remember to tell the person to flip the timer before the timer runs out you really only get 30 seconds to answer all these questions it's just a really fun i don't know i'm not even sure if it's really multitasking but it's a really fun like to try to answer questions on dice and also answer them verbally and try to remember to flip the timer and it's just a really fast-paced fun game that i think is a really cool party slash family game if you have kids or something so the lose state is when you run out of time well, you run out of time, and then there's numbers next to these questions. So depending on fa- how far down the questions have gone, like how far you've gotten answered, your your score will multiply by the number of the last question you answered by the other score of the last question you answered. So if it's if you only got one on one card and one on the other card, your total score is one. So you really want to answer as many questions as possible on both cards, because if you get four answered on one and three on the other, you'll get a much higher score because those are the numbers that are multiplying. But it's a fun, fast-paced game, and it's really stressful, and it's hysterical because people are, like, trying to spell out words with these dice, but they can't find... Like, the thing that's clever about the game is that some dice have, like, two Gs on them. So if you're trying to spell a word, or two Ds on them, so if you're trying to spell a word with two Ds, like D-A-D, like, there's only certain dice that have those two letters, and it's really hard to find them while you're also trying to answer verbal questions at the same time. And it's like, where is this letter? I can't find it. And it's just really, really fun and chaotic. Hmm. Sounds so. like the same kind of chaos as something like Space Team, if anybody's It's funner than Space app. Team, but okay. it's just... <laughs> I don't know. And then everyone gets to be the active player. You play three rounds and then whoever has the highest score wins. And it's just, it's a challenge. The one downside to the game I'll say is that when you're playing it, sometimes you can have a really tough first question and then you only get a pass once the entire round. So if you do have a tough first question, like it's a really hard math question, 
you you're passing and then you lose 30 seconds and then you have a shortened amount of time to answer the rest of the questions Mm. other than that i think it's a great game highly recommend it cool sounds fun uh so we played yak which you have talked about previously sarah but we had not yet played it so we finally played yak i talked about this months ago because i was so excited by the like the trailer that they made they just made a really good like game trailer and this is a game by designer uh, michael Liu. it's from pretzel games and it was more of a children's game than maybe i was expecting it's very fun to look at because it's got these giant yaks like these big yak pieces that draw carts like they're they're pulling carts behind them and they're like big physical carts with actual wheels and you put all of these giant like wooden blocks of stuff in the carts and that's all like really delightful and fun the gameplay leaves something to be desired <laughs> like for me personally it was not um the most engaging so i i feel like it's a great looking game it's a fun idea um but i i was not um I was not impressed by the gameplay. Like, is it a fun idea? There's nothing there, but the, it seems like somebody made the yaks. Made it's the just the yaks. The yaks are so cute. But they don't have any gameplay value. They don't do anything. Yeah. The game. Like the, the game is just, you could have easily stated that it wasn't going to work on paper. And as a children's game, I mean, it doesn't say it's a children's game. And also, it, it seems like the rules are complex enough that most kids would find it, I don't know, maybe mildly irritating to try and work within the rules as stated. There's not so much going on, but it's not intuitive, and it certainly isn't evocative. Mm. So there's, I think that so so in the game there are these yaks. They're pulling stuff, um, and you have these various foods, and the yaks will give you bricks if you give them certain kinds of food, basically. Um, and some yaks will only eat certain kinds of food. So well, they're really not eating any of these things because all right. Well, I guess it's not. I guess they're not milk. eating them. It's like you're trading them to whoever's driving the yak. So like some of them will take milk, some of them will not. And so you trade these people milk in order to get bricks of different colors. You're trying to build this little pyramid on your own personal board. And while you're building the pyramid, you're trying to like match colors um, or make like groups of colors. And that's how you, those are the multipliers for, for your points at the end of the game. So it's like, it's a very simple idea. And I do think that children would understand the idea of trying to build this pyramid. But it's, uh, yes, but why? <laughs> yeah. The answer is so many things are, but, but why? Like it's, <laughs> you're, you're going to end up with pretty close scores probably, but random chance is going to affect you quite a bit. I think um, it's very charming to look at. It's very charming to look at. Uh, okay, Sarah, maybe you can explain. We did not understand the fog at all. So the fog, like sometimes when you're pulling blocks out of, when you're pulling bricks out of the bag, sometimes you get a white brick. And the white brick is not a brick you can use to build things. It's actually a fog brick. And the fog requires you to turn the axe around And that's relevant because you might have been planning to get a certain yak in front of you during the next turn, but now you're not going to get that yak. You're going to get a different yak who has different stuff and maybe they don't want whatever product you were planning on trading them. Um, That makes sense. But there's this fog tracker that we could not understand the point of. Did did you ever understand the point of a fog tracker? Yeah, and in my understanding, the fog tracker was just just to indicate that when you pulled three fogs out, you put them all back in, and then if you 
pull another three, which I didn't even think was possible, that you don't pull any more after that. Like, there's a limit to how much fog there is in the game total. Yeah, I didn't have, That's a, it. I didn't have any questions with the fog. fog seemed really but what was the point? I guess I didn't understand the point, because, like, that was one of the, like, the fog tracker is this really cute little three-dimensional piece that has, like, a mountain on it. It's like, oh, yeah. this is going to be important. And then it's like, what is? It's not really that important. <laughs> I don't important, understand really. at all. Why is this here? <laughs> yeah it's kind of strange um yeah like super super overproduced game very cute but i i'm not sure i would recommend it unless unless you just want something cute that like i feel like it's a game that if you have children those children are going to be playing with those yaks all the time but they're not going to be playing the game they're just going to be playing with the yaks <laughs> the yaks are very nice <laughs> I played a game called Planted. I picked this game up at Gen Con, but we didn't actually play it because, mm. you know, it was just like a sample booth and they didn't actually like, have game plays going through it. So I picked it up. I actually saw this game at Target the other day. So if you're interested in playing it, you can just pick it up at Target or whatever. Very much like a mix between Seven Wonders and Sushi Go. Like it's not as simple as Sushi Go and it's not as complex as Seven Wonders, but it's in pass and play. So you'll get a deck of cards. They'll have various either house plants or resources on them like water, sunlight, or plant food. And then what you're doing is you're building a shelf, a very beautiful shelf with these plants that you're acquiring. And the plants each score different points depending on how large you can grow them. The appeal of this game to me was the amazing pieces. They have really cool sunlight pieces and like little drops of water, but the drops of water are like amazing to touch and feel. <laughs> it's a Phil Walker Harding game. I wouldn't say it's his best game. Like it's very much just a step up of Sushi Go with plants. Like instead of playing Sushi Go, you're playing it with plants and it's like a little bit harder, but you know, I for what it is, I like it. I like the resources. I think it's a fun game and and if you're not into pass and plays, I wouldn't recommend it. But if you're into pretty things that you can just sit on your table, this is definitely fun. And if you're like, if you like plants, this one's for you. You can water your plants and feed them and give them sunlight. So, yeah. I like these cozy games where you're like, if you're into plants, you're going to want this. Or if you're into multitasking, you're going to want this. People aren't into some of these things. They're like not breathing, not moving, like very their lives must be very difficult. There are people who are into plants and there are people who are like, meh, plants. Those are two different kinds of people. All right. <laughs> okay, so we we played uh, block and key, and that is something that we mentioned uh, in our Gen Con episode because we saw it at Gen Con, but we didn't actually get to demo it. So block and key is by David von Drunen, and this is oh, how do I explain it? Uh, so you have all these three-dimensional Tetris pieces, which are the best part of the game. They're huge, chunky Tetris pieces. They're heavy. Um, they're, they're just very cool looking. And you are placing them onto a board, uh, which is a two-tiered board. So you take the box and basically put it on stilts. So you've got the upper level and the lower level of this box. And you're placing them on, on this box and you're trying to create two-dimensional shapes. So you've got cards in your hand and you're trying to create whatever two-dimensional uh, pattern and shape is shown on your card using these three-dimensional blocks. Um, so you're looking at the three-dimensional blocks from your perspective, and that's how you get that, that kind of 2D picture. It is a very solitary feeling game. Like, even though you're playing with other people, even though I was playing with Damon, nothing he did was really relevant to what I was doing. Um, so it, it is very much multiplayer solitaire. And the weirdest thing 
about it was that the the core mechanic was really hard to remember or the core like the main rule was really hard to remember which was when you're placing a block it needs to be taller than anything else that has been placed that is that it's touching and that seems really simple but when you're getting into the game and you're trying to create these patterns it's really easy to forget because it's kind of hard to do and i feel like i forgot it a few times and cheated like consistently <laughs> um and the, it's just yeah i know and it it i i wish it was something more intuitive or i'm not sure if there's any way to make that more intuitive like it's it's there's not like that many rules but the rules were not the, the rules of placement were not super intuitive to me so they're easy to forget play it more than a couple of times and i'm sure you would be fine also because you're only looking at your side it's a hard rule to make sure to enforce like it's really it would be really easy for somebody to never remember and for people to not notice that they never remembered so there's that um i would say it is a cool game to have if you have a lot of non-gamers or casual gamers in your friend and family group because it it looks so interesting it would be really easy to get anyone to play it but the gameplay itself is not that intriguing what do you think, mm. Damon? It's a beautiful game. That's why we played it. And that's about all it has going for it, which I expected going in because I had already had it demoed for me. The game has a, a problem that a lot of games have at this point. Cozy games. I was talking earlier this week about cozy games, and this kind of fits in the cozy. What are cozy games? So cozy games are like games that just aren't that, like where obviously competition is not a big issue and like production value is the main sell and it's not going to threaten you and it's not going to necessarily challenge you. In this game, one of the biggest problems it has is that it has too much open space and too much freedom, too much availability of like, do what you want when you want, and thus you can either optimize or get close to optimizing every single move. You have these cards in front of you that'll tell you what to do, um, and you can choose which card to do, but you're just gonna have an optimum move each time based on whatever whatever's available to you. It's probably, you, you could possibly optimize better if you spent five or ten minutes or something silently analyzing the board, um, but that would make it even more solitary than it already is. So it has low interaction, and I, I would say the decisions weren't super challenging, but it does feel really good to play, and it is a nice exercise. I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy the game, but if it hadn't been in the really nice package, if the pieces weren't so heavy, if the bag wasn't so nice, if the board didn't feel great, if the cards weren't embossed, then I probably wouldn't have been as positive about it. A lot of it is about how good it feels to to touch and move and use, and even the sounds the pieces make are really great. You might need to tighten up your definition of cozy games, because I feel like a lot of what you just said could be relevant of many, many games. Many, many games. Are yeah. I don't think that cozy games is right for that multitasking game either, because co that is a stress. Yeah, that, no, doesn't, that, that doesn't sound, sound cozy, like cozy at all. Game. I like, don't know um, what you're talking about. Like, what did we, what did, the framework would be an example that's like bordering cozy. It's not quite a cozy game, because there definitely is some some stressful nature to it but like certainly patchwork would be a cozy game definitely are you just using cozy to refer to things that are non-competitive or like definitely like not multi interactive solitary multiplayer solitaire is part of it okay. but also like there, there are certainly multiplayer solitaire games we've played the game where you're like shipping pipes to trucks or whatever the hell that thing was curious cargo that's the one oh that's oh the that is not that's the opposite of a cozy game horrifically um, hard but is multiplayer solitaire but is still yeah but like there's games like calico it's like kitties and like they're cozy on yeah 
that's know. a cozy game. No, I not don't because think there's a lot of yeah, strategy with those quilts. But there's yeah. not a lot of stress. I don't it's know. Very if you're, low stress. Yeah, maybe, you're borrowing the phrase. You're borrowing the term from video games, but well, video games also don't call themselves cozy games. This is a new. I know, a new idea. but what what even, what is a cozy game in video games is not at all what you're referring to here. It is, so. it is the same thing. So cozy games and video games would be low stress games intended to zen you out or like ease your in video games they're about like emotions they're about like people and relationships and Mm, i wouldn't call that a cozy game necessarily it could be a cozy game but i would say the death stranding is about people and relationships and i definitely wouldn't call that a cozy game no i i would say most stories are about people and relationships but like fog of love wouldn't be a cozy game but certainly their sequel game that we played at gen con decorum i think would be a cozy game so, you know, it kind of it kind of depends. Well, it just depends on if you if we'll you see feel if stressed while playing. Definition catches on. I don't think it. Will, I think you're talking maybe, like you're you're referencing what Sarah calls hippie games. Hippie games are not the same. Like Flux is a hippie game, but certainly not a cozy game. Um, no, Flux isn't a hippie game. Flux, Flux is definitely is a hippie dumb. game. Yeah, Sarah Sarah says hippie, hippie games are ones that don't have winners, right? Like like Telestrations is definitely a hippie game because there's no actual winner in that game. Yeah. <laughs> But it could also be a cozy game. That game's not stressful at all. Uh-huh. Yes, that's a cozy game. <laughs> well, I mean, not really, because it's just like an activity. But I mean, a cozy game is, is still, a, it, it has the ministrations of a game. But I'm sure there's a lot, I mean, there's lots and lots of examples. And, and I, uh, currently there's lots and lots of new games coming out that have that. Um, like on tour game. is, is you're by yourself. Yeah, no, you're stressful. doing your own thing. You're, but it's it extremely stressful. Cozy game is not saying multiplayer solitaire is okay. cozy games. It's just they're Super very likely chill. to be multiplayer solitaire games. Mm, like, okay. Anyway, I don't know if Block and Key actually fits in that thing, but it is very much designed to just kind of zen you out and just de-stress you, I guess, and not engage any sort of high stress. Yeah, it's thought. definitely not high stress. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's a very gentle game, even though the pieces are very heavy and made of stone. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say if I would recommend it. It kind of depends on how much it costs. I have no idea how much it costs. I'm sure it's really expensive. If it's really expensive. It's got to be not. at least seventy dollars. Then probably not. <laughs> Just because the components are so. Yeah. If it was, if it was yeah. half that, if it was like thirty-five dollars. Oh no! It, no, it it's fun. not going to be that cheap. But yeah, cost cost is definitely a big problem with a, with a game like that. It will impress people. Like oh, yeah. if it, it, it's cool looking. Yeah, it's cool. Definitely. It's just not fun. <laughs> I played another game called Reign of Dragoness. This is a Grandpa Beck card game, which I don't really wait, care for. Wait, wait, are you saying the, hu- the is that a company or a human? It's a company. It's, it was at Gen Con. They have they had a booth there. Grandpa Beck's card games or whatever. They only make card games. I Did think. you meet Grandpa Beck? No. Is there a Grandpa? I don't know. Is there a picture of a Grandpa? I didn't actually stop very long at that booth. Not, on the boxes, yeah. yes. That's their logo, like okay. a Grandpa. Hmm. Yeah. So I have owned previous games of theirs. So the, the the one game I really like of theirs is uh, Skull King, which is that trick taking oh, yeah, game I taught you guys. So they designed this one. It's called Reign of Dragoness, and in the game, there's twelve different suits of dragons. I don't know if there's twelve suits. I think there's six different suits of dragons that go up to twelve, and then there's um, a dragoness card, which is like the regular dragon in Tichu. It's like the highest single card in the game, and then but then it can also be used like a phoenix in the Tichu game. Or it can also be used as a wild. It's a climbing game. But with a twist, because each different dragon clan has a different amount of colored circles on their cards. So the the more high-end dragons have a lot of, like, jewels on them. So they 
they trump other things. So if someone had like a run of five, like one, two, three, four, five, and then I played a one, two, three, four, five with higher dragons, I can still trump their dragons with the same exact run if my dragons were higher than theirs. You know, it, my clans had more power. It's a fun game. We only had three players. Um, I do like the artwork on it. All the dragons are different and they're really beautifully drawn. And I think it's a good climbing game from what I've seen. I just think it was a little, I mean, the game plays up to like seven people or eight people. So I think it would be more fun with more people because it seems like there's specific rules you can get into with higher, higher amounts of players. I'd recommend it. It's a fun game. If you like climbing games, if you like Tichu or Chimera, this is a game you can play with more people than that. So you know, check it out if you're interested in climbing games. Cool. Is there anything else unique about it other than the number of players compared to those other games? It's got dragons just, and gems. Just the dragons and gems. Yeah, <laughs> okay. pretty much. And you can't do, you can't, you can only do certain combinations of cards. Like in Tichi, you can do climbing pairs or, you know, other things. You can't do that in this game. There's very specific things you can do. And there's other cards in there, kind of like Skull King. There's like a squire and there's like a knight and they do very specific things that can throw off the entire round. So that's also fun. Cool. So we played another escape room in a box. This is from a subscription called Escape the Crate. And we do not subscribe, but a friend does. And he gave me a copy. This one was called Escape the Titanic. And you are time travelers and you're not trying to stop the Titanic from sinking you're trying to find the mummy that was inside of the titanic like apparently apparently there there are legends about the a cursed mummy being on the titanic and that's the reason that the titanic sank is that um, true or just yeah like a yeah plot? It's, a, it's a thing um hmm. i didn't know either but well, there, well, apparently there was it a is. mummy there was a mummy but but, but, was, but was it cursed, Damon? Was clear. it cursed? I should be more clear. All mummies are cursed. And <laughs> there were lots of mummies on boats. Mummies were everywhere. They were being sold as firewood. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't that wasn't that unusual at the time. But now it seems crazy you put a mummy on a boat. Um. Okay, so, so that was the premise, is that you're going back to the Titanic to get the mummy it's not even you're not even trying to get the mummy some mummy relic i don't know <laughs> this game was ridiculous so um the first challenge you you face is you get on to the titanic and then it's it's already sinking i don't know why you couldn't just have gone a little bit further back so that you have more time but this is every time travel you're very every time travel silly game, like, we have to go back in time yeah. to save you're the very person. silly team we'll leader. Only four, minutes four seconds yeah. before they yeah, got shot. Yeah, it was shot. like, oh, we better go back to exactly before it sank. So that's why you're, you're time limited. And so you go, and the porter is like, hey, you're not allowed to go in there. Like, the ship is sinking. And so <laughs> you have to solve Does it. Does it matter at that point? Well, the ship is sinking. He's like, get to safety. Like, you don't want to go in here. And so we had to solve a puzzle. And the, the answer to the puzzle was like a seven-digit code. And we're like, wait, what is this? Like, what? It's a really long code for a box. A really long code. Well, no, not just that, but like, why would this get him to let us onto the ship? So we like typed it in. It's one of those games that like has a has a web interactivity thing. So you you have to type in the code on the website, and he lets you in. (laughs) And we're like, do we just confuse him with numbers? We like spouted numbers into his face, and he was so weirded out that he just let us walk through. It was so funny. And the whole thing was like that. It would just be like, 
somebody would ask you to do something like for some reason another these people have amazing work ethic like we we got into another part of the ship and there's a guy who's like you can't go through there and you're like but i have to yeah and i have to and he was like well i guess you can if you help me sort this luggage first (laughs) oh my gosh oh god it doesn't even thematically make sense like who needs to sort luggage when the ship is sinking yeah it was the whole thing was bizarre like that we i mean we were laughing the whole time like we had a great time playing it it was hilarious but it was kind of terrible so these escape crates are all like this. Like, yeah. Always the same. They're, I mean, when you have to come up with a story every like two weeks, yeah, yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be bad. They, then the mummy came alive. <laughs> I mean, if no, o- nothing if only, that exciting happened. If only. <laughs> uh, wow. What was that one called again? Escape the escape crate. the crate. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I will say we haven't played all of them, but of we've we have played. I, we haven't played all of the crate like escape subscriptions but of the ones that we have played i have not been impressed uh if you're looking for a quality escape room in a box go with you know a a standalone if you've gone through every single standalone and you're desperate for more then i i understand this is like your only choice (laughs) like this is this is all you can do and it's probably cheaper than going to a real life escape i they're very expensive. They are expensive, I but don't really like agree with that. three of us play, or I think four of us played this game, and that's true. That's true. When you count it as yeah, if it's like a fifty, if it's fifty dollars, I'm I'm not sure how much it was, but if it was fifty dollars, that's still way cheaper than four people going to an escape room. An escape room is a room, and this is a series of pieces of paper. <laughs> yeah, with really really cheap pieces of paper. Yes, so would not recommend. Um, but we had a grand time playing it. That's true. That's a hard recommendation because you could say, like, if you recommend it as a comedy, it's a very different thing from recommending it as an escape room. Uh, yeah, we were laughing room, the whole time because there, there is like a, a story. bizarre like, comedy. There's all this story involved and it's not like it was it was very much like I can't remember what game we played, Sarah, but the one that had the fruit algebra in it. We were that, talking like, about that the whole that time. That both threw the pencil across the table. It was so the funny. The Escape from the Grand like, Hotel. That was not a great game. But it was so, like, we were laughing the whole time. It was so funny. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, you're selling me on this one. It sounds kind of hysterical, so I would play it. The last game we played that was new this week was called, well, you guys have played it with, actually, with me, but I hadn't played a full game of it. It's called Cat in a Box, mm. or Cat in the Box. It's a quantum card trick-taking game. So we, I had purchased this at Gen Con. We tried to play at the dinner table one night, but then the pizza came, and then we tried to play back <laughs> at the hotel, but then we got distracted. And so I finally played a whole game through, and I do like the game. So in the game, it's a trick-taking game, but there's no actual suits on the cards. So when you play, you have this little card in front of you that has blue, red, yellow, or green. Red is the trump suit in the game. So if you're saying, and, you know, nine is the highest these cards go. So if you wanted to trump everyone and you you played a nine blue, hoping that everyone else would play blue, and they did play lower blues, and you would get that. But if they play out of turn, let's say they wanted to take the trick with a red, they could play a two red and still trump you. You are never allowed to play blue again the rest of the game. So it comes with these cool little tokens um, that you set in the middle of the board to indicate which um, cards have already been played. And then at the end of the round, you can create what's called a paradox, which basically just means that if someone played like a three blue 
and everyone else has to follow suit and you can't play red anymore and you don't have anything that is blue that can be played because every other card that's out has already been played in that suit then you basically end the round with not being able to play and then you get minus points for that and then you make bets depending on how many bets you think you can take you get points for those you get points for the amount of tricks you've taken and it's a clever little trick-taking game. I know that people at Gen Con were not as fond of it as me. And so they kept taking, uh, especially, specifically Carrie said she didn't really like it and she regretted buying it. But I kind of don't mind it that much. I mean, I think it's still a relevant. <laughs> That's quite a review. I kind of don't mind it that much. I yeah. like Cat in the Box quite a bit. I, I It's clever. I It's not the best game, but at this point in history, uh, being unique counts for a lot. Um, and as far as trick-taking games go, it's quite unique one of those small box Japanese games where you can kind of expect that there's going to be some rules questions and it might not necessarily play with the best pacing, but it has such a unique premise with the quantum mechanic card play thing that, which is really hard to describe, and I'm not even going to attempt to describe really how exactly the color number thing operates. You just have to try it, but it, it is cool and there's no reason not to try it once and it's not like a super expensive experience to get something unique and, and interesting here if you like trick-taking games a lot um so you guys do like trick-taking games a lot of the trick-taking games you introduced to us this is one of the most unique ones i think oh yeah for sure it's really unique i totally forgot about that game i i felt like when we were playing it we must have been playing it very wrong because something about it felt super broken <laughs> So I don't did were we playing something wrong or or is it just that was just kind of the feeling of the game? I don't recall if we were playing it wrong or not, but the first time I played it, there were a few things I was getting wrong. So either the guy taught us wrong or I forgot those rules when I was explaining it to Bo. So I don't know. Maybe. I feel like I was in the room with you when you played it and it didn't seem that broken to me, but it felt broken to me. But I I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe there was something we'd misunderstood about the rules. Well, see, this is how people like it or don't like it. I think it's a very it's a very confusing <laughs> premise, but... Yeah, like it or not, I've never seen a trick-taking game that has no suits in it whatsoever. That was very unique. That's cool. So. That's cool idea. All right, that's all the games I had. Do you guys have any more? We played Monster Expedition. We got this game at Barnes & Noble for 10 bucks. It was 50% <laughs> off, and as a result, I was like, well, normally I wouldn't grab this. It's um, Alexander Pfister, I believe, and it's a not-quite-sequel to uh, Richard Garfield's Carnival of Monsters. So I thought this was a Richard Garfield game when I picked it up, and I was immediately going to grab it. I'd grab any game I can get from his, from him, and it's at a reasonable price. I never played Carnival of Monsters, so I can't compare this to the previous game. I have no idea if they're that related. It sounded like they had some kind of relation. Um, but this is a monster-nabbing, dice-rolling game. Board Game Geek lists it as some kind of variation of Farkle. I don't remember Farkle at all, hmm. really, what that's like, but that's... What do you do in the game? game? I play Farkle frequently. Uh, you roll, like, between three and maybe ten dice, depending on exactly what you have in front of you, and then you um, pick out all of one number, so maybe if you have multiple sixes, three sixes, four sixes, whatever, you take all the sixes, roll it again, then you can take all the threes, um, roll it again. You get three rolls. Or actually, you don't. You get as many yeah, rolls as you Yeah, you get want. infinite rolls. You get in- infinite rolls, but then if you... Um, if you roll all of the numbers you already have, this usually happens after three times for most of the game, then let's say you have a five and a two in front of you, or multiple fives, multiple twos, and you roll fives and twos, then you lose your highest number, one die of your highest number. So you'd lose your five, 
you toss that back in the box and then it's rolling. So it has a bit of a can't stop feeling to it. I don't know if that's common to Farkle at all. Mm, Farkle is very much a pusher luck game. So the yeah. farther down you get, the the harder you have to push yeah. to get back. So it has yeah. it has that idea, but um, it's not like a roll and write. There's a bunch of monsters in this menagerie that you are trying to capture, and you just need a high enough number to capture the monsters. But you also have these expedition camps of different colors that match the colors of the monsters. So at the beginning of each roll, you're going to choose a color of a camp that may have more dice available to you, but you have to take a monster of that color. It's a, a simple little game. There's a lot of density in the box, so I expected it to be pretty, pretty simply made. Normally when you get a small box game, they're really straightforward in terms of exactly how much they can represent on the cards. But the cards are quite dense. The uh, uh, there's a lot going on on the monster cards. They're beautifully illustrated, as well as they have these little powers at the bottom. And then the uh, camps also have four sides on each side. So they can be rotated as you upgrade them, and then you can flip them over. So even though the game only has a handful of cards, really, just a little deck of monster cards and a little, a little handful of uh, expedition cards and some dice, there's a lot going on in it. And it felt pretty good. And I would say it's this a just after game. you explaining it, like it sounds like a game I would love. Yeah, I think you'd <laughs> probably like it a lot. Like it's that. like a push- I, I liked it a lot more than I expected. Yeah, it's a push your lucky little uh little monster grabbing game. I love dice, I love push your luck. The only <laughs> issue like kind of game. The only issue it has is there is a there's several balancing mechanics. It's been balanced to death a little bit. Yeah. Um there are several balancing mechanics like you can pay 10 so you're just trying to add up a bunch of numbers and the monsters range between 10 and i think 31 is how high they go Mm -hmm. um but if you pay 10 you can buy what's called a cage which is the back of a card so you pick a random card off the top of the deck and now you have a random card in front of you and it's a cool idea because you have now a a monster that no one can see and otherwise they can see how many points you have and colors you have in front of you but it now can't use its power and the powers are kind of half the interest that separates this from games like Farkle, which are just straightforward sort of push your luck rolling scoring games. And uh, by the end of the game, a large chunk of it is sort of handing out these random face-down cages to people um, with kind of random monster points on the other side. And that's not a great ending. So the game has kind of a problematic ending that it just sort of suddenly halts to a stop and then throws points at people semi-randomly to sort of balance out the skill factor yeah Um, i i didn't mind the hidden points as much as i minded the the free cards that people get at the end basically everything that's left it's not an exciting ending yeah everything that's left that people haven't trapped like all the monsters that haven't been trapped are given out to players as freebies depending on when they were flipped and i can't really explain the mechanic but it people get free cards at the end and i did not like that (laughs) because i only got one free card and other people got a bunch of free cards and it felt kind of random but i I would say that was the only thing i didn't like yeah i I really did enjoy the game game off it's very much like the rat tail mechanic in yeah whether you like it a lot or you don't like it at all yeah it's a balancing mechanic that's gonna throw some people off but if you're at the bottom it's gonna make you feel good (laughs) because you get closer to the top so but the, the dice rolling is really fun and juicy. And also that what's great about it too is that you're not just watching people roll dice. It does matter what they roll to everyone, which yes, is great. Like it means that instead of just like watching 
and like being bored, you're watching and hoping that certain things will happen. Um, because if anybody, like depending on what cards you have, if anybody rolls an eight, then you get a benefit. If anybody rolls a 10, then you get a benefit. And then when it comes to misrolling, which is what they call if you roll some, a number that you already have and you have to throw away your highest dice, that is not only relevant to the person who is rolling, but it's relevant It's relevant to everyone. Because if I really want them to keep that 10, I'm like, stop rolling now. Like, don't lose your 10 because I want that 10. So that was clever too. Um, I would say that as we were reading the rules, I was pretty like, I was like, I don't know. But then when we were playing it, I was like, actually, this is like, I, I'm surprisingly I might go to Barnes & Noble. It's even still on sale. <laughs> yeah, look in there. It's a bargain bin. Yeah, it was $10. I don't remember my Barnes & Noble having a bargain bin, but maybe. <laughs> they all have the bargain. Well, the, it, the red dot, it's, it's the red, red dot, dot sale happens sale. four times a year. Yeah. And we used to go all the time, and that's how we got Fresco. That's how we yeah, got Yeah, we got Nexi. a ton of games from that's that. So we got a lot of games um, that we wouldn't have otherwise got because yeah. either they had boring covers or... They had really low board game geek ratings or something, but had really yeah. intriguing pieces. The Barnes and Noble Red Dot sale is very helpful yeah. in terms of just getting random stuff. And I'll also say that the the monster art is pretty fun. Like it's it's pretty good art, which it's is what you expect from a Richard Garfield game. So all the art was taken, as far as I can tell, from the Richard Garfield version, and it's the kind of quality you expect. So really, really high level fantasy. Yeah, it's art. good looking stuff, which is great. And it's also it, it was really interesting. As far as the art goes, there's only so many monsters. There's maybe twenty monsters in it but there's more than 20 cards and there are repeats of the monsters but the art is not repeated yeah it's they're like all slightly different very slightly which is different. great so you see like a weird beardy fox uh-huh. and then the next one has a weird beardy fox but he's got like it's a slightly a, a very shorter different, beard he's got a different beard and yeah. a different tail yeah and then the next one is the same one but he's like in a different pose with yeah. like shifty eyes or something it was they had like pers- quite a bit of personality um, without just being just wildly variable. So every card is unique, even if even if you don't see it at first, which I think is a really cool effect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those, cool. were all, those were all the new games we played. We played a bunch of games we've already played as well. We played Camel Up and Skull and Era and Set. Oh my God, we played Set. Well, we had some friends who bought Set and they're like, have you heard of Set? And we're like, oh yeah, we've heard of Set. <laughs> It's so hard. Your brain. Oh, my God. It's just my brain felt like it was going to burst so hard. But I know that you've, like, studied those cards. So you, you're you great at set. I think to get better at set, you have to just play by yourself. Yep. Yeah. I also yep. played a bunch of games we've already mentioned. But I bought Dungeons, Dice, and Danger, and I played one of the easier levels. And oh. I think I enjoyed the easier level, I think, more than yeah. the hard level. Hmm. So I like the hard. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't played the hardest one yet. I intend to. The dinosaur one. Yeah. yeah, the dinosaur one. Um, it's a really cool game. I like that game a lot. I want to play that again. I, I wish it, it was people. shorter, but I do like it. Cool. Well, if you want to see a list of the games that we just talked about, you can look in the podcast notes below, or you can go to our website, which is playdnapodcast.com. And uh, as always, play safe, play often, and we'll see you next time. 